The Old Testament reading for this, the third Sunday of Advent, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 61st chapter. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, whereas the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The epistle reading comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter, beginning at the 16th verse. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rise for the reading of the gospel. (coughs) The Holy Gospel that serves as the text for our sermon this morning comes according to St. John, the first chapter. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed. And did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. 
So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this week... Once again, we hear about John the Baptist in our readings. Why is John so important that he gets two weeks? Is it because this year's readings are mostly from Mark, and Mark doesn't include any information about the birth of Jesus? Well, partly. But John the Baptist is a crucial person when it comes to the season of Advent. John's message was, be prepared. And that is a message that bears repeating. He was the one who told people that Jesus Christ was near. He was the one who stirred people up and showed them their need for a Savior. John's message was the message of Advent, and a message that we still need today. But it's more than just a fitting theme that makes John so important. John the Baptist came for one reason, and one reason only, to proclaim Jesus Christ's arrival. It would have been so easy for him to overstep that boundary to make it about himself. He was famous. He was drawing a crowd every single day, and people were listening to him. When the Pharisees come to him, it's clear that they believed he was really someone important, and they gave him plenty of suggestions that he could have easily said yes to. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? Every one of those titles and names had such power, such prestige. If John had said yes to any one of them, he could have had just about anything that he wanted in the world from this crowd of people. But John says no. He confessed. He did not deny, but confessed that he was not the Christ. The Pharisees asked him in frustration, then who are you? We've got to tell people something. And he responds, me? Oh, I'm nobody. I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. But the one who comes after me, he's someone. He's the one you need to be looking at. He's the Messiah. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That was the job of John the Baptist. And it's also your job as well. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I hear you saying, I'm not some shaggy-headed prophet wearing camel skins in the desert. I don't even like the taste of locust. Jesus came long ago. So how exactly can he, can I be the one to proclaim his arrival? Well, sure, you're not John the Baptist, and Jesus was born long ago. 
But as a Christian, whether our birth was foretold by an angel or not, it is our duty and our privilege to proclaim Jesus the Messiah and his work of salvation to the world. So are you? Are you proclaiming Christ? Is your Christmas celebration celebrating Christ? Are you proclaiming Jesus as you prepare for Christmas? When you gather together for a Christmas party, is Christ invited? Or is it just an excuse to get together for gossip, drunkenness, and greedy gift exchanging? When you greet someone or send them a card, do you avoid saying Merry Christmas because you know that they're not a believer? Well, guess what? They actually need to hear it the most. They need to hear that this is about Jesus. Now, of course, we can't be perfect because we are sinners. And proclaiming Christ doesn't mean that every time somebody says happy holidays to us, we jump down their throat and shout, Respect the birth of Christ, you pagan! Christmas is such an opportune time to boldly proclaim Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel with all, to invite the whole world to the manger to worship the newborn king. But you realize, of course, that our work doesn't stop there, right? Just like we aren't Christians only on Sunday, we're not Christians only around Christmas time. Though we hear about John the Baptist a lot more around Christmas, his was a year-round constant ministry. His proclamation of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near was not one that only turned up one or two Sundays a year. John was a full-time prophet continually tasked with proclaiming Christ. And so are you. Whether it be Christmas time, Easter time, Arbor Day, the 18th of June, you have the duty and the great privilege to proclaim Christ always. So once again, let me ask you, are you? Are you proclaiming Christ throughout the whole year? Do you let your faith shine, or do you hide it to fit in with the rest of the world? Dirty jokes, filthy language, drunkenness, all the things that the world loves and endorses, Do you endorse them as well, depending on who's around you? So often I hear things when I come into a room like, Oh, better clean it up. The pastor's here now. Har, har, har. Why should you behave or act differently around the pastor or in the church? Do you become a new person in my presence? That ain't right. I'm not the one judging you. The world is. The world sees your behavior and says, is that what it means to be a Christian? Is that what their faith is all about? And so when we hide our light away, when we pretend that we're very right and upright and pious when we are in church, but come Monday through Saturday, boy, howdy, it's a different story, that is not consistent. That is not the life of a Christian. In our epistle reading, Paul gives us not just good advice, but the model of what a Christian's life should look like. Paul's exhortation here, it is steep, it's hard, but it leads to a much better life for yourself and those around you. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, do not quench the spirit, 
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That's difficult, yes. Because we are continually tempted to do just the opposite of what Paul says and of what God's word says. The world around us promotes these things and says, why in the world would you refrain from those? They're fun and everyone else is doing it. Our own sinful heart says to us, do it. You know you want to. The devil is whispering in our ear constantly, God is keeping you from some great stuff. Give it a try at least. But when we live according to God's word, things go better in our lives. Not in this magical, if you have enough faith and do just the right things the way God tells you to, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you kind of way. That doesn't work. God never promises that if you are perfectly obedient to his word, nothing bad will happen. In fact, he kind of tells you the opposite. You will suffer for your Christian faith. But when we live by his word, we avoid so many of the heartaches and pains that this world wants to throw our way. And the ones that we do experience, we go through knowing that God is in full control, that God himself is with us, that it's his strength, not ours, that we can rely on to bring us through those dark and painful and super difficult times. God's word is not this wet blanket meant to stifle our fun and make us miserable so that we'll really appreciate heaven once we get there and can have some fun. God's word is meant for our protection, to benefit our fragile lives, to give us peace and even joy as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not just in our own lives, but also in the lives of those around us, especially those to whom God has entrusted to our care. So that said, are you proclaiming Christ not just throughout the day to your co-workers and strangers, but at home too? Do you set a Christian example for your family? You know, too many times I hear people say to me, I can't get my kids interested in church, and I don't know why they're always in such a mess. But too often, these are the same people who themselves don't make church a priority, who live decidedly unchristian lives and don't set any good example for their kids. Church comes second to work and activities, and sports, and friends, and vacation, and anything else that might be on the calendar, but we'll go if there's nothing else to do. They have this attitude of, well, I guess I have to sit in church every now and then, but I'm not about to talk about Jesus at home. It's the pastor's job to make my kids believe. Church is fine on Sunday sometimes, but don't expect it to touch the rest of my life. Is that a Christian attitude? What you teach your children, it's far more than when you sit them down and say, kids, this is what you are to do and not to do. Do you teach your children to obey the law because it's right and pleasing to God, or do you just teach them how to not get caught? Do you teach them about chastity and the sanctity of marriage, or do you follow along with the lustful ways of the world and do crude jokes and laugh along with the world and teach them to do whatever and whoever they want? Do you teach them patience, forgiveness, gentleness, restraint, stewardship? All these things are taught not with one short and very awkward conversation, but with a lifetime of examples 
living out God's word and showing your family how it is to be done and the benefits of doing it. Now, even under ideal circumstances, there is still a very sad chance of people drifting away from the church. But when you put your children behind the eight ball, by never living by God's word, by constantly embracing the world, how can you be surprised when they go that direction? What hope do they really have? And it's not just your family. The way you live your life is your witness to the world. Actions speak way louder than words. And so do your actions drown out your Christian words, or do they reinforce them, make them real, show people that Christ's love and forgiveness actually mean something to you and actually have an impact on your life? And that is what this all boils down to, Jesus Christ's love and his forgiveness. We are called to proclaim Christ, to tell the world that glorious message And so often we fall pitifully short. And when we do, we are tempted to give up, to despair, and to say, well, I can't do it all that well, so I'm not even going to try anymore. What's the point of it? But to do that is to give in to the devil's lies and snares. To think that our salvation depends on how good we are at bearing witness to Christ, that is to take what Christ has done Toss it aside and say, I can do it better. I'm the one in charge. It's all about me. Yes, we are called to proclaim Christ every moment of our lives. And yes, it is a great privilege and a tough responsibility. But it's not the most important Christian proclamation at all. There is one that is far, far greater. Do you realize that despite all your shortcomings, Despite all your sin, Jesus Christ is proclaiming you. In our sin, we deserve to be proclaimed guilty, condemned to hell, cast out of God's presence forever. But Jesus interceded for us. He came to us in the flesh. He gave his life as a perfect sacrifice. He paid our penalty with his blood. And now, he continually proclaims us to be innocent of all our guilt, all our wrongdoing, all our apathy, everything that is wrong within us, he proclaims to be holy and righteous and good. When the devil dredges up our sin and says, do you think God could really forgive that? Jesus steps in to loudly proclaim, yes, I can and I have. You are forgiven. He doesn't rewrite the rules and say, whatever you do is just fine and I'm cool with it because I've already paid for it. But he forgives you of every shortcoming. Whenever we sin and fall short of God's glory, we can turn not within, not to our witness, not to our deeds, but look to Jesus Christ and hear his glorious proclamation, you are my child and you are forgiven. As we prepare to celebrate Christmas, Have you ever asked yourself why Jesus was born? Well, the answer is simple. It was to save you. Jesus Christ saw you personally, individually, in your sin and death and enslavement to hell, and he said, I will not put up with that. I am going to do something about it. And what he did 
was beyond our imagination. He submitted himself to be born in human flesh. He humbled himself to take your place beneath his own holy law, doing that which he demands of all of us. He grew and he walked this earth, bearing all the same sinful temptations that you yourself bear, constantly being assaulted by the devil and his evil forces, saying, don't you want to turn away from God instead? He endured all the pain that this world brought him, the betrayal of the disciples, the mockery of the Sanhedrin, the torture of the guards, the agony of crucifixion, and the pain of death itself. And he did it all for you so that you wouldn't have to endure such things for all eternity. And when he rose from the grave that glorious Easter morning, he rose for you, to give you life and peace and the assurance of your own resurrection, that you too will rise again to eternal life and be with him in his paradise of heaven. And when Jesus comes again in glory, he will come again for you to carry you in his arms to heaven so that you can be with him forever. Jesus Christ has done all this for you. How in the world can we not proclaim to the world this message of truth and mercy and forgiveness? It is our joy and our privilege to do so. It is not some grievous task. John the Baptist came in wild fashion, empowered by the Holy Spirit, proclaiming that the Christ was here, pointing everyone to Jesus' word and his forgiveness. John is long gone, but we today still carry on his word as we too proclaim Jesus Christ and his love. All throughout Christmas we boldly confess that Jesus is the center of it all. All throughout our entire lives, we continually live out that Christian faith, putting Jesus at the center and the core of our lives, praying that he would guide us, speak through us in all things. It's not always easy, and we are often challenged by the devil, the world around us, and our own sinful flesh. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can persevere, and we can make that bold proclamation of Christ all throughout our lives. And even when we fail, which we will, we look to the even greater proclamation, the proclamation made by Jesus Christ himself. Because no matter how bad our sin might be, he has proclaimed us innocent and has taken away our guilt with his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. No matter how hard the battle might be, Jesus has proclaimed that he is with us always, even to the ends of the earth. And no matter how bold or loud our proclamation of Christ is, his proclamation of us is even louder and even more certain as he proclaims to the world and to each and every one of us, you are forgiven of every one of your sins and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.